Welcome to Anchor and Flank with Brad Mayhew, Episode 3. This is a podcast about operational learning. It's about making yourself stronger and smarter for the future by learning from the past, especially accidents and tragedies. I've been reading some chapters from my book, Origins, and we're doing that because it's a great way to set the stage for the key themes that we are going to be talking about in the rest of this podcast series. Last time we looked at the history of hotshots, I told you what it means to anchor and flank, and we talked about the, the blank page of me trying to think about how our profession learned from the Yarnell Hill fire. And so now we're going to go back to that moment in 2017, and I'm out behind my fire station between some self-assigned bonus sets of pull-ups, and I'm looking at that blank page And I'm having to come to terms with the sense that we hadn't really done anything as a profession to make things better uh, after the accident, that we had failed. And I kind of felt like, are we the first generation in history that's not going to leave the profession better for the next generation? I was thinking, well, somebody ought to do something. But I had to just accept, well, nobody's going to come take care of this. If an agency or a center or whatever was going to show up and lead the learning, they would have. And then I thought about how, well, I was a lead investigator. I'm in a unique position here. I could do something, <laughs> but I didn't want to. I, I, I did my duty, and I had pull-ups to do at that moment. And I kind of felt like it was someone else's place. So... That's sort of the the rather unpleasant stuff that I was thinking about at that point. Um, Standing out behind my station in 2017. um, And that's where we're going to pick up right now. All right. Here goes. Origins by Brad Mayhew. Chapter 11. Deciding and Acting. On a recent day off, I had driven the Pacific Coast Highway 1 to check the surf. Sunroof open on the Forerunner, and I listened to a few speeches of JFK while I was on the road, even threw on my Ray-Bans in solidarity. Now, sitting on my slab of red oak out behind the fire station, a line came back to me from his inauguration. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's a bit on the nose, maybe, but the point stands. I could apply the JFK principle here. It was time to stop wishing an agency would handle this and ask instead what I could do. I didn't have to drop it, deny it, or drink endless resentment. I had another option. I could do something, or at least try. So I decided, I'll own this. I stood up and I walked to my boss's office. I told him I had to tackle this and I asked his advice. Through conversations with him and other mentors, I realized after a while that this project was going to require my full force and energy and I couldn't knock it out between fires and pull-ups. I also realized I had to go it alone. I had to reach my own conclusions 
free of any pressure or influence, separate from any institution. I knew I had to temporarily leave my crew, my agency, the systems I trusted. And my boss helped me apply for leave of absence, but he asked me to wait till fire season slowed down. No problem, boss. As the day came closer, our crew had some good fire assignments together and some great meals. And for brief moments, I questioned, did I really want to leave? How is it my place to take this on? Whose turf is this? Really? And whose toes am I going to step on? They were Prescott guys, right? Not Orange County guys, not LP guys, not Southern California guys. They were Prescott guys. Like, just author said, you know, what, what business is it of mine? That was kind of what I was thinking. Anyway, deep down, I knew these questions were all wrong. The truth is, there are guys. And every firefighter has a stake in this accident. And every firefighter has a right to learn from it. This accident got used for just about every agenda except us making ourselves safer. I had to accept there was no real precedent for what I was about to do. I couldn't predict where it was going to take me or how it would all go over, but I knew there had to be others like me who wanted to do something meaningful and who would take action if they saw a way. Fast forward. Now it's late summer. 2017. My leave started. Good friends advised I turn back, but there was no turning back. One said, well, you know what you're getting yourself into. Of course, I said. Of course, I didn't. Chapter 12, Learning from Granite Mountain. I called my mission, Learning from Granite Mountain. At first, I expected to round up a few lessons, maybe debunk a few myths, share a few discoveries. I wanted concrete action points. For example, how should we update our tactics and training, fight fire differently, or change policy? I figured the research couldn't take longer than a month or so. After a few eager sessions in local coffee shops with my legal pad, I realized my initial size up was a bit optimistic. Learning from Granite Mountain was a much bigger endeavor. I spent the next two and a half years immersed in it. An author's note, it's been, by now it's been longer than two and a half years. This is, I wrote this in 2020. Anyway, chapter 13, diving in. I dove into the available data and I looked at some of the books, articles, and reports that appeared after our official investigation. I also sifted through the rumors. Was there anything solid? Or was it all frothy gossip? I ran down a lot of red herrings and cul-de-sacs, but I had to know if we missed something. I returned to the accident site for the first time since the investigation and retraced the steps of the crew. Then I came home, put my gear in storage, and hit the road. I moved to Prescott, Arizona for several months, and I witnessed firsthand some of the mind-bending and gut-wrenching realities in the aftermath of the accident. Sorrows rippled through lives and communities 
and gave rise to new tragedies. Traumas cascading into traumas, and my heart went out to them. And in their vulnerable state, waves of misinformation had flooded in. I saw people who lived totally in their imaginations and imagining terrible things, suffocating anger and falsehood, yet trying desperately to bully everyone else into their twisted world. They shoved around all kinds of theories and accusations and demanded I submit and rally to their side. And I guess they just needed converts. When I asked for facts and evidence, they gave me dramatic half facts and half truths. And when I asked for real facts, they got angry. Or maybe they were just embarrassed. Yet they seemed so convinced I could see how people fell for their strange ideas. I confess, I got sucked into some super dumb arguments. It was like Hercules and the Hydra. No matter how hard I debunked a fake fact, two more sprang up behind it. And it started to dawn on me, maybe some people were addicted to craziness. I had to accept I could not fix this, and so I decided I sure as hell wasn't going to feed it. I anchored back into my mission, which was to build something meaningful for firefighters and with firefighters, and I had put a lot on the line for that. And every entangling distraction was a ripoff to my purpose and my people, and I knew what I had to do. I ditched the debates. I doubled down on my mission. Chapter 14, Back on Track. I met with firefighters close to the accident. Like me, they wanted to focus on their work and life out of the spotlight. Some had never talked publicly, but they were willing to have a conversation if it was going to help other firefighters. Friends visited Prescott, and I took them to the accident site. We ran through different ideas from different angles, sprinted alternate routes, and timed them. Light bulbs went on as we noticed things we never saw before and connected details we thought were unrelated. I traveled around the country meeting with groups of firefighters. I put on virtual staff rides for them and shared what I was finding. The point was to test run my ideas with them. And I also wanted to hear what they thought we could learn. This led to new insights, which led to new questions. And I came to see this accident touches every issue we need to face for the future of our profession. I threw myself into the research and kept diving deeper. My learning evolved over time. I talked to scholars who spent their whole lives studying such topics. And I was struggling to piece together what actually happened on the hill that day and how. I had to reset my biases and assumptions. I tried to approach with a beginner's mind. I drew from my earlier training in history and archaeology. Before I was a hotshot, <laughs> I wanted to be Indiana Jones, and I studied for that in college. I was also struggling to make sense of what it all meant for us as a profession. Why were we stuck not learning? And where are the leverage points to get unstuck? And I dove deep into the question of how we investigate accidents and why. I talked to people from every major wildland investigation for the last 30 years. I reread their reports and I reread my own. And what I discovered cast my own work in a new light. 
I had to do a little soul searching. And then I reverse engineered a blueprint of what makes some investigations succeed and others fail. I also had to take a fresh look at our firefighter history, which I thought I already knew. I dove deep into the question of how do we learn? I reached out to leaders and heroic innovators from our history and tried to figure out what made them successful in their time so we could apply it in ours. So this mission of learning from Granite Mountain, it started as a solo mission, but I ended up spending a lot of time with people I like and admire. Not just the heroes from history, I mean all the firefighters around the country who were willing to talk about their experiences and put their heads together and compare notes. It's not the same as fighting fire together, but there is a fellowship of building and exploring. Take the very book you're holding now. Thousands of people came together to help shape it directly or indirectly, and each one left thumbprints and smudges on it somewhere. I love knowing that. And there's a good chance you'll see your own thumbprints along the way. You might not know what you said or did to make an impression. Your rule may have been indirect, but the point is, this book was born of camaraderie and collaboration. Except for the gaffes. Those are all mine. Chapter 15, All We Need. I spent years studying, talking with firefighters and other experts, and testing ideas. And what I found blew me away. Conventional wisdom was wrong. Over and over. We've been trapped by ideas that don't fit anymore as a profession, maybe as a society. Our old paradigms were running on fumes. That's one reason our learning stalled. And I'm talking about essential foundational issues, and everyone I knew was wrong about them, including me. But I also came to see, among firefighters, we already have the talent, creativity, and resources that we need to move forward. Yes, we're stuck, but it's not because we lack something essential. And so my focus shifted from what we should learn to how we should we could my focus shifted from what we should learn to how we could learn and instead of focusing on specific recommendations i resolved to inspire and equip a generation of leaders and i know we are on the cusp of breakthroughs and this accident will drive an era of innovation not every accident brings a paradigm shift. Yarnell will give us several. We just need anchor points to work from. Chapter 16, Anchor Points. When you're fighting a fire, an anchor point is a sure place where you can go to and start work. And once you have a good anchor point, you usually have options and tactics to choose from. If the situation becomes unclear or confusing, it might be time to go back to your anchor point, then reassess, then re-engage. When it comes to the Yarnell Hill fire, people don't know what to believe or do. There's been so much confusion. If only we had good anchor points, then we'd have something to work from, and we could start flanking this fire together. When I realized that, when I realized that, I got laser focused on a new objective. Build 
anchor points. I put away the other material I was working. I sifted through the research I poured myself into. I tried to distill the essentials. The only thing that mattered was how to best equip and inspire firefighters to innovate. But also, I had to find ways to communicate this information. I didn't just want to transmit data. We tried that in 2013. I had to find better ways to engage firefighters. Many sometimes struggle with their attention span, like I do. I never imagined what went into writing and releasing a book, much less a series. I made every possible fish-out-of-water mistake trying to figure out technology and publishing. It was caveman slapstick, but those are stories for a different time. I did my best, and I'm still learning. All right, that was chapters 11 through 16 from Origins. Um, and how do you like that phrase, caveman slapstick? It's kind of how I feel doing this podcast. <laughs> but um, it's, in, it's in the same spirit. That whole idea of, okay, you know, we got all this content. Now, how do we, how do we offer it in a way that, uh, that people can best connect with it? Um, and it occurred to me that, <clears throat> yeah, we got a book, but there's a lot of UDGens out there, like me, who would rather listen uh, than pick up a physical book. So if that's your learning style or that's how you like to uh, uh, incorporate information, then um, I hope you enjoy I hope you enjoy my caveman slapstick efforts at, uh, at putting together a podcast. So a couple, couple comments that I thought I'd make. Um, it's funny, I get so many uh, comments on the whole JFK scene. And so I thought I'd just expand on that a little bit. Um, I think, you know, for one thing, the reason it's in there is it's meant to put a smile on your face in the middle of some, you know, some kind of heavy material. It's meant to be a little playful, um, driving on Highway 1, throwing on my Ray-Bans because, well, Kennedy wore Ray-Bans, so I'll show solidarity. It's just supposed to be, you know, it's just supposed to lighten the, the mood. Um, but there's another reason specifically for bringing up JFK. Um, so he was a writer and a researcher, and his book, his first book that he wrote, uh, I think it was in college, uh, was called Why Europe Slept. It was about how Europe missed the conditions, the building up that led to World War II. And he wrote another book called Profiles in Courage, which is more famous. And it's kind of meant to inspire people to take meaningful action on their principles. And so uh, he was very influential in our culture, as you know, and he was also very, very young. Um, and he showed up at a time when government and politics was kind of seen as either, you know, sort of old and run down and obsolete ideas. And it was either that kind of like worn out kind of just old, you know, negative attitude towards towards politics and government, or there was this sort of aura of sleaze and griminess, just dirtiness around a lot of politics at that time. Those were general public 
perceptions. And what Kennedy represented was a return to these very simple ideals um, and the idea that you can actually live by those ideals. And at the same time, he represented this idea of you know returning to these simple ideals that are that are that are our roots, but at the same time, he also represented this idea that we're facing new challenges in a new time, in a new era. And so we can apply our tried and true ideals in a new way. And so he had these ideals. And another thing about him is he somehow avoided this kind of polarization and craziness that can happen sometimes in politics. Somehow and and somehow he inspired people to love their country and act and serve. And he inspired a generation of public servants. So when I was first getting interested in maybe doing accident investigations, I had already been doing my human factors classes. And, you know, I had worked on a number of projects already. Uh, but I was, I was thinking about getting involved with accident investigations at that time. Um, this is early in my career, and I was asked to attend a retreat of a group of some of the highest-ranking firefighters who were assigned to deal with risk in each Forest Service region. Uh, it was called, I believe at that time, it was still called the Risk Management Council. And they got together for a meeting just outside of Lake Tahoe. Uh, There's a guy named Bill Waterbury. Um, he was like the, the big dog, the big, very senior guy from the Washington office. You know, he flew in for a few hours one afternoon and I think he flew back out, you know, that, that night, you know, after saying his piece and it was that sort of thing, you know, anyway, I had the opportunity to spend a little time sitting on the porch and talking with Bill about his history. And, and he told me about how how he got into being a firefighter and um i guess i think he heard this speech from kennedy i believe he actually quoted the same line that i quoted in, in the book about ask not what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country um, i believe he actually quoted that to me and and that that was what inspired him to get involved with government service and to fight fire um, and so there was a whole generation where their whole view of service and society was shaped by, either directly shaped by the words of JFK or indirectly shaped by the ethos that he created uh, and that, that he fostered. So it's really powerful stuff. So I got I got interested in him and, and trying to, and I started listening to some of, the JFK speeches and you know it's funny listening to those old speeches from whatever that is I guess 60 years ago almost because you know they're scratchy and the pitch always sounds a little off and you know you realize oh wow this this recording's like 60 years old you know but anyway um I, you know you listen to his speeches on like the Cuban Missile Crisis and and the schools and going to the moon it was really inspiring for me. Um, and so when I was thinking about, well, what am I going to do with this whole Granite Mountain thing? 
you know, I was thinking about doing something that was new and out of the box. And, you know, if you look at what I set out to do, it, it's unprecedented for a lead investigator to, to do what I'm doing now. It's uncharted territory. Um, but I think it's going to somehow unlock a lot of pent-up ingenuity uh, in the minds and hearts of firefighters. And so what I'm trying to do here, this little thing I'm trying to do with the podcast and the books and all, I think what's much more significant is the innovation that I'm trying to inspire in other firefighters and what, what you're going to come up with. I think my role is sort of to, to try to inspire others. And so the reason that I'm bringing up Kennedy is because his words were an inspiration to me and rediscovering his speeches was incredible. And if you haven't listened to them or it's been a long time, um, I would urge you to find them online or something. It's awesome. You'll find a lot of inspiration there. You know, you'll, you'll hear him saying, we're going to put a man on the moon. And it's like, man, that must have sounded just crazy to people when he said it. It doesn't sound crazy to us, but it must have sounded crazy at the time. And it happened. Wow. So I just wanted to share that with you, you know, the whole, so that scene, which was meant to be, you know, kind of amusing and kind of, kind of, you know, a little lighthearted to break up some of the seriousness of what was going on in that chapter, you know, partly that was why I put it there, was to bring a little bit of levity, uh, but also there's a more serious reason for bringing up um, JFK and you know personal is a personal inspiration to me and maybe he can be also an inspiration to you all right uh one other thing that i want to comment on is this whole concept of of the shift that happens or the shift that happened in these chapters where i had to go from um i, I had to get to the idea of of ownership and uh, I had to go from, well, somebody really ought to do something about this situation. And that's true. Somebody ought to, right? Somebody else ought to. Uh, but I had to get out of that mindset, even though it was true and valid. I had to get out of that mindset and into the mindset of, okay, if something's going to get done here, I need to own it. And that's the important shift. You know, we hear a lot about what we can't do, what's out of our control, all the things that bear down on us and limit us and keep us from whatever, doing whatever, right? All these things that are out of our control and that we can't do. We hear about that a lot. In our society right now, we're hearing a lot about that. And reality is that Yes, a lot of things are not under our control. But some things are in our control. That's the shift in thinking. That's what made all the difference. The shift from surely someone else will handle this. I'm sure it's somebody else's place. I'll wait for them to show up. It was going from there to, okay, but what can I do here? Really, what can I really do? And I've seen this in investigations, uh, one in particular 
where this group of people were in serious trouble and they can hear the rumbling of the fire and they're waiting for somebody to tell them to verify that the fire is coming or to tell them where to go or to pick them up or to do, to do something. They're just waiting for someone who's supposed to do something. And there's a moment when they realize it's up to us. Our situation right now is up to us. And, and when that shift happened for them, that's when they found the capacity to take decisive action. And the action they took, I believe, saved their lives. And so that's where I had to get to with Yarnell. And that's where, um, I don't want to tell you what to do, but whatever it is that you're thinking about innovating on, whether it's Yarnell or something else, that's where you got to get to is is that mindset of, okay, well, you know, maybe somebody else ought to do something. Maybe that's true, but okay, but what can I do? Um, and for me, it took me a while to get there and I'm trying to maybe help you save a little bit of time. <clears throat> Ultimately, it's about your career. It's about your service. It's about your crew. That's what it's all about. And my role here is I'm going to give you the best I can, uh, but I know that all I'm doing is I'm just sharing, you know, one little, one little piece of, of, you know, I'm just sharing what I can, you know, and you're the one working to make yourself and your crew stronger and smarter. And I'm hoping that uh, some of what I'm doing here is something that you'll be able to use in your mission, because ultimately. That is what it's about. It is about you and your world and your mission. And I hope this podcast uh, and these efforts can be of some service to you uh, in your mission. All right. That's all I got for this episode. I will see you in episode four.